So, John, um, there's been discussion in the media about the upcoming election, which is billed for around May at the moment, uh, anyway, uh, as being a referendum on tax. As someone who writes quite frequently on tax and has worked in taxation uh, for a good portion of your life, uh, would, would that would that sort of statement ring true for you? Oh, I think so. I think a number of different issues. and You've got a Labor Party that's made a few suggestions for change, and they're obviously going to be part and parcel of the debate, and then you've got the government response, and um, not to put too fine a point on it, I think the government's response is a bit overblown to what I regard as fairly sensible but minor changes. Overblown as in, um, I don't know, almost kind of red-baiting of uh, Bill Shorten yes, sometimes oh, yes. and things like that? <laughs> yes, exactly. That You know, here's the new socialism under, under the guise of these tax changes, when in fact these tax changes are um, are fairly modest and uh, are going to bring in a bit of money, but really don't challenge the operations of the, the, the current system and how the big end of town will continue to profit from it. Sure, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But um, speaking of socialism, I wanted to, because you often write from a socialist perspective, how, how does that inform um, how one should look at how uh, taxation and tax policy plays out? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, I see tax as a vehicle for redistribution so that if there are poor people that we can address poverty. For example, the um, latest figures from ACOS show that about uh, 3 million Australians live in poverty, including... I think 730,000 children. So uh, I just look at that and think, well, why aren't we addressing this issue? Why aren't we addressing the fact that 35% of pensioners live in poverty? And as for the people on Newstart who haven't had an increase for 20-something years, I look at that and think, you know, the money's there. We could bring it in through some um, minor adjustments to revenue or major adjustments to revenue and provide everybody with an adequate life. And I think that's the main driving point for my ideas of socialism. And, you know, we can live a better life than we've got at the moment. And tax can be an important contributor to that debate. I just think uh, um, one of the things I find quite interesting about the Marxist perspective is talking about ideology and, like, you with your individual wage, you go into work and you work hard and why should any of that money go to uh, services to all? So um, do, you, yes, do you see yes. that? Um, do you see that still playing out maybe on both sides of politics at all? Or um, I don't see it playing out on the left of politics. I, some elements of the right push that particular line and then the logic of that is that all taxation is theft and therefore... You know, you should do everything to avoid it. But, of course, for ordinary workers, it's impossible to avoid tax. You have it taken out by your employer. Whereas if you're a multi uh, multinational company able to structure your affairs around the globe, you can pick and choose how much tax you pay and where you want to pay it. So, I mean, there's clearly class differences in terms of tax and who pays tax, and the majority of people who pay tax are ordinary workers. And I think most workers understand that idea of community because to work, you have to work with other people, and even though you're selling your labour and your capacity to work, um, you've got to do so in the context of other people who are working with you for a common goal. So I think really the idea that this idea that tax is theft is um, 
one that's really basically isolated amongst the right wing of society. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's go into um, some of um, what well, the ALP have been the ones um, making uh, some uh, important, well, some some. Some of the ideas that they've put forward have been challenging, but uh, nonetheless, they're looking to, um, at least rhetorically speaking, wind back some of the damage done by neoliberalism. So the first one is negative gearing. And from what I understand, negative gearing is a tax offset when an investor, um, they've bought a property for the purpose of investment for capital gain or whatever, and um, any losses made on that property, they can get back as a tax concession. Is that? Am I getting that clear? Well, that's that's sort of right. I'll, I'll try and give you a simple example. Say you buy, I don't know, a million dollar house in Sydney. So um, you've borrowed from a bank of a million dollars. Now I don't know what the going rate for borrowing from a bank of a million dollars is. Let's say that costs you fifty thousand dollars a year in interest. Um, so a thousand dollars a week, and um, you're getting rent of, uh, I don't know, 750 a week because the market is dropping or whatever. Um, that means you're getting rent of $750, but you're spending, assuming you've got no other outgoings, which is not a valid assumption, but let's just do it for the purpose of the exposition. So you're spending a hundred, you're spending $1,000 a week and you're getting 750 back. So you're making a loss of $250 a week, which you can then offset against any other um, income that you might have. So say you're also working, you can reduce your accessible income or your gross income by the amount of the loss, which is 250 a week. So say you're working for $1,250 a week, um, your your um, accessible income gets reduced from 1250 by that $250 gap that I was talking about. So you end up paying tax on... $1,000. So you're being subsidised, in effect, to make a, a loss on your revenue, on your rental income. And, of course, at the same time, your real uh, objective is not just the rent and then the loss that's associated with that, but also the capital gain, because the capital gains are treated fairly generously under the current regime. Mm. So you've got your property and you've purchased it in, I don't know, 2005 and you sell it in 2020 and let's say you make a gain uh, of a million dollars over that period of time on the million dollar property, um, you don't pay tax on the whole million dollar gain. You only include half of the the capital gain in your accessible income and are only taxed on half of it, mm. which, which is another part of what Labor is doing, attacking the capital gains tax concession. So now, does that make sense? Um, it, um, it it's uh, ta- taxation. Um, it's funnily enough with the, you know, putting um, well what the media is saying about a referendum on tax. I for one find it such a dizzying sort of topic. That it seems <laughs> so, it seems it seems almost strange to see that as a battleground for voters to pick between. Um, so it'd be worth going into the franking credits um, part. Now, um, so I, I hesitate to ask how um, franking credits works because well, I'm just being openly honest with the, the audience here. It's a very that is also very confusing. It's something like um, you own shares and the company makes a profit, but um, the on the yeah. way on the way to the shareholder, it gets taxed twice, and it's a way of um, stopping that from happening or, or yeah. getting along the along the line. Yeah, yeah, that's 
that that's getting there. But I, I try and use another simple example, which <laughs> based on the failure of my last simple example, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Um, let's let's assume we've got a company and it makes a hundred dollars profit, and you're you're the sole shareholder, and it's a big business, so it'll be taxed at thirty cents in the dollar. So it makes a taxable profit of a hundred dollars, pays tax on that of thirty dollars, so it submits it sends a cheque off to the ATO or makes a bank transfer to the ATO of $30, means that its after-tax profit is $70. Now, let's say and that it's got no other ongoing requirements for investment or whatever, so it decides to declare a dividend to you, the sole shareholder of the company. Mm-hmm. So it says, I'm going to declare a dividend to you of $70. So, bing, you get $70. So you have to fill in your tax return come the 30th of June or 1 July. So you put that $70 in. It's an Australian company, so therefore the dividend, and you've paid it, and the company's paid tax at $0.30 cents in the dollar. Um, so it's full, what's called fully frank, which just means that you include the $70 in your income, because that's the dividend you receive, but you add in the $30 of franking credit that uh, is attached to that dividend. Now, bear with me. Mm-hmm. So you have to include $100 in your assessable income. Now, um, you then get a credit against any tax that you owe of $30. So let's say you are below the tax-free tax-free threshold. So if you earn less than $18,200, in this case, let's say the $100 that you've declared the $70 dividend plus the $30 credit is the only income you've got. Obviously, it won't be because you can't live on $100 for a year. Mm-hmm. But let's just assume for the purposes of explanation. Now, you're below the $18,200 tax-free limit. So that means there's no tax payable. So you declare your $100, you get a credit of $30 against any tax payable. There's no tax payable. And the government says, because you're below the $18,200 limit, you get that $30 back. Uh, you get it returned to you. Mm-hmm. It's a refund to you. Mm. Okay. So that's a simple way of explaining it. Now, if that $100, if I was on the average wage, for example, of whatever it is, 82000 or something, that $100 would be subject to tax at, I forget the exact rate, let's mm-hmm. say 40%. Yep. 40%. So I'd owe tax of $40, but I get a credit of $30 um, attached to the dividend. So instead of having to pay $40 on that extra $100 of dividend income, I have to pay $40 less the credit of $30. So I would have to pay $10. So how much I end up paying is dependent on what my other income is. Mm. And this is where it gets interesting because... A lot of the people who are receiving dividends will be below the $18,200 limit, Mm -hmm. especially in the older demographic, because they will have also put money into superannuation over the last 25 years. Now, I might be on um, a superannuation fund pension if I've been contributing for 25 years, and if I had enough money, I would have been stashing money into superannuation. Um, to give me a nice retirement income. Let's say I've retired on $50,000 a year through my superannuation contributions over 25 years. 
that $50,000 is tax-free. Mm -hmm. That is, it's not included in my taxable income. So let's say I'm on this $50,000 a year superannuation fund pension payment, tax-free, plus I get the $100 that we were talking about, um, dividend from the company of which I'm the, sh the sole shareholder. That $100, that, sorry, but so my, my effective income is really $50,100. Mm. But for tax purposes, my mm. real income mm. is only $100. Mm. So therefore, I get the $30 refund. Mm. And that throws the whole of the calculations about um, how poor off the people are who are complaining about the changes to franking credits are because many of them will be on tax-free superannuation pensions as well as having... Um, as well as having uh, dividends being paid to them and receiving credits. And it throws the whole of the calculations out. If you look at the figure, um, which I did in a recent article in Independent Australia, the top 20% of wealth holders in Australia own 86% of all the shares in Australia. Mm. So in other words, the bottom five deciles, the bottom 5%, 50%, sorry, of uh, wealth holders in Australia own 3% of the shares. Now, that gives you a pretty good indication mm. in terms of wealth um, who's going to be disadvantaged by Labor's changes. Mm. I, but I do think there will be some people who are, aren't earning a lot of money mm. who will be disadvantaged because they've taken on board what Keating and Hawke used to say, you know, save for your future, yep. invest in shares, yep. invest in super. And so they will have done that. Yep. And they will be disadvantaged. But it, uh, when I was in Parliament today, just before question time, there's a 90-second window of opportunity for backbenchers to get up and talk about problems in their electorate. One backbencher in a Liberal electorate got up and said, I've had three three constituents complaining to me about Labor's franking credit changes. One of them's only on $30,000 a year and the other's on 40000 No, sorry. One of them's going to lose $30,000 a year from the changes. Yeah. One of them's going to lose $40,000 a year and one's going to lose $50,000 a year. And I just sat down and thought, hang on, that means they would probably have about a million dollars invested in shares if the rate of return was 5%, they'd be receiving yeah, okay. yeah. $50,000. Um, no, it, <laughs> right. doesn't not, it does not make sense. Yeah. It just yeah. doesn't work. People on that sort of income just can you know, bad luck. <laughs> yeah. I just don't... If you've got shares of a million dollars, and in any event, the, 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 the real figures peter out at about... The tax-free threshold is at $18,200. So if they were earning um, dividend income, which meant that they were getting a credit, the refund would not be $50,000 in any event. So I, I just think that what we're seeing here is a lot of nonsense being spoken by the mm. government about who's going to be impacted. The real impact will be on the high, big end of town. Yeah, um, we see, or well, I've seen at least in America, the the debate is kind of starting to shift like uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the socialist uh, democratic um, congresswoman is starting to um, have a bit of an impact with, um, with a 70% 
top marginal tax rate sort of proposal. Do you see any chance of the debate in Australia starting to shift so then the left is represented by um, those like Ocasio-Cortez who are quite uh, who go hard on the rich? Yes, that's a really good question. I've been thinking about that for some time now. I wrote about it in Independent Australia, not in terms of tax, but more generally about where is Australia's Jeremy Corbyn, because Corbyn has tax issues, tax um, proposals as well that would focus on the rich. Um, and the proposal from Alexandria for a 70% top marginal tax rate uh, has galvanised people in the United States and lit up a debate. And it's interesting that we're not having that debate in Australia about why aren't the rich paying more tax. We're having a debate about the impact of negative gearing or capital gains changes or franking credits, credits yeah. which, are, which are a disguised way of having a discussion about the rich and the, mm. and the well-off. Yep, sure. I don't see any, any drive within Labor to actually abandon its history of neoliberalism over mm. the past 30 years when it comes to addressing tax issues. I think it's things around negative gearing and capital gains tax and the franking credits are more about fiddling at the edges and raising a bit of revenue, yeah. which they then say they will put into um, transport and especially into health and education. But, you know, <laughs> look at the trends in health and education under Labor when they were in government. and The spending trends were, in terms of, spending on those issues compared to GDP were all down under Labor, as they have been under the Liberals. Mm. Um, I, I'm just a bit worried about you know, Labor saying that they're going to do these things to spend on health and education, when <clears throat> really um, there are other things they could do on top of that, which do address the issues mm. like uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez talking about 70% top income tax rate. But that debate's to be had in Australia yet, mm-hmm. and hopefully we can... Start the discussion going by yeah. building on what Labor's talked about. Do you think um, Wayne Swan talking a hard game on neoliberalism? Do you think that that, um, without what you're saying, without um, kind of walking the walk, do you think that may end up kind of allowing the discussion to start via the back door, or is that looking like a way to kind of um, uh, throw a salve to the left without actually? doing anything? Yes, I think it's a salve to the left. I think it's a salve to its own membership as well, that it's an attempt to say, oh, look, now that I'm no longer in charge Mm. of neoliberalism, (laughs) I think that the situation's gone too far in favour of the rich. I I do think there is a specific driver for people like Wayne Swan, which is that growing inequality in Australia um, is creating the conditions for an outbreak of um, social disobedience, especially amongst unions, because if you couple the growing inequality with lower and lower wages or lower real wages or flatlining wages, then there is a possibility that more organised workers could organise themselves to fight for better wages and that this could get out of control, that Labor would no longer be able to control workers. So I think what Wayne Swan is talking about is essentially an attempt to buy into the debate and to um, throw a, a, a lifeline to the left, but without actually doing anything substantial. Mm. Um, moving along the corridor of, well, we'll do some things, but not really challenging 
big business and capital and the way they run things. So I, I, I think we can use that discussion to move the debate to the left and say, well, Labor, that's all well and good. And yes, I agree with negative gearing changes and I agree with capital gains tax changes. Mm. And I agree with franking credit changes if they don't catch poor people or less well-off people. But really, we should be focusing on taxing the wealthy in society and taxing the high-income earners. And here are some uh, suggestions for doing that. Now, let's put them on the agenda. Mm. And, you know, 70% top marginal tax rate might be a good one to start with, or a wealth tax, or a death and estates duties tax, or a turnover tax on uh, a big business that pays no income tax, those sorts. Um, just we're quickly running out of time, but I did want to ask about the wealth tax. I've seen um, Thomas Piketty, the um, the economist, and others proposing what would be a one percent global wealth tax. Are you, do you know how that would work, um, and whether that is a good idea? Um, Piketty's driven by the same sort of concerns that Wayne Swan was was talking about, uh, namely the growing inequality in society, and he looked. Piketty looked historically at uh, where the relative rewards were going between capital and labour and capital and uh, and non-workers and, and come to the conclusion that the history of capitalism is basically about capital getting more and more of the rewards surprise, and surprise. labour getting less and less over yeah. <laughs> a long period of time. And he sees the need for that to be addressed globally. Mm-hmm. Um, and he suggests a, a global taxation system in which there is a global coordination of the wealth tax. Now, it's not going to happen. Uh, the reality is that you've got all these competing nation states and mm. given that the US is under the control of Donald Trump or even if it was Hillary Clinton or anybody else, they're never going to have, implement a, a global wealth tax or any wealth tax. Mm. So it's up to particular individual countries to try and address those issues within their own countries. Um, however, I, I do think that the issues that Piketty raises are important. The questions of this um, growing inequality between labour and capital and how you address it. And although he dismisses Marx in a few pages, mm. I think he doesn't. He really doesn't understand Marx and the tendency of the rate of profit to fall, which I'm not going to go into now because it's too long and complicated. Yeah, sure. But sure. Um, but the basic idea is the very success of capitalism leads to its own. Um, over-concentration of investment in capital at the expense of, of labour. And so you have labour being the only producer of um, capitalist wealth. You have less investment in it. And so over time, the rate of profit falls. And I think that's an important consideration in our discussions as well. Mm. But I agree with Piketty. I think we should be having a discussion about a wealth tax. And a global wealth tax is a great idea. It's not going to happen. So we should be having that discussion in Australia right now. Um, it'd be good to get a just a broad sweep of what your suggestions would be. I know you talk specifically about uh, giving labour, as in uh, the labour force, more rights such as right to strike and things like that. What would you diagnose? What would you prescribe as um, some things that listeners out there can do in order to um, push back against uh, neoliberalism and capitalism? Oh, I think the first thing is if you're working, you should join your union. It doesn't matter how right with the union is and how swept up in neoliberalism, neoliberalism it is, um, that 
I think there's eventually there's going to be a coming explosion of workers and that they're going to radicalise uh, across the board. Um, I think the second thing is we need to just keep emphasising that there is a growing inequality and that this is part of the system, it, the way it operates, that we've got to keep hammering away that we can address these issues. And the main way to address it is to win higher wages, but also to impose more tax on the wealthy and the rich so that we can redistribute their extra gains that they're making as a consequence of our labour back to people who aren't so well off. So I think there are two issues there. One is the basic idea of class struggle and the right to strike and the right to fight for for higher wages, something that we've basically lost over the last 20 or 30 years since the Accord came into play in 1983 mm-hmm. um, under, under Labor. And to challenge neoliberalism and to keep fighting the ideas of neoliberalism, to keep on saying we can have an alternative society in which everybody lives well. We can create the conditions for that society and we have to start doing it now. Join your union, fight for wage increases, tax the rich, tax the wealthy. I've been speaking with John Passant, who is Canberra correspondent at uh, Independent Australia, and I highly recommend reading his articles there. John, thanks so much for your time uh, speaking with Subject ACT. Oh, thank you very much for the interview. I really appreciate it. I hope it made 